And Lord willing, we will finish up tonight the fifth command to be not many masters. And then there's only one more left to be patient. And uh, of course, that goes right back to the beginning of the book of James. James actually, uh, I don't know what you would say, completes the circle or uh, uh, just uh, fulfills the cycle. But patience uh, is is what we need. And uh, we'll come down to verse 11. And it's we've dealt with under this being many masters or not being many masters. Uh, the issue being the more you're in charge of, the more you're responsible for, the more you will be judged for. And uh, uh, the issue is offense and control. And, of course, if you will just take a moment and look in your own life, 90% of the problems that you deal with are because of issues with authority. Uh, and what, what you do when you were growing up, most of the problems you had was with authority. And, uh, that, you know, that, that, and we look at life today and all of the issues there. But the answer, I'm sorry, uh, uh, then we get in, got into the issues of the tongue. And I'll tell you what, you can deal with everything, but uh, uh, that tongue is something only, only God deals with. You'll have to weigh in your life the value of true wisdom versus uh, worldly or sensual wisdom. And last week we dealt with uh, prayers, misguided prayers come from trying to be in charge of too many things. Centering on ourselves rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get down here to... Uh, verse 11, and we'll dig in. It says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Now, this idea of judging, Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, I've often said it's the most misquote, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And, and uh, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to let that up to God. And uh, yet... It's something that is so much a part of human nature. How, how many times just stop and think? Do you sit there and you evaluate and uh, other people and you think about what's going on in your life? And maybe uh, the only purpose for, for judging is say, I, I'm not going to do that if I get in the same situation they're in. Um, but to sit there and say... I've never judged my brother is like the person who says, I got my tongue totally under control. Not going to happen. It, it's going to be part. And we are given some direction here on how to deal with this and how to correct it. It says, speak not evil 
one of another. You know, we, we could take time tonight to go to the book of Romans, and it talks about judging other brethren and what they do. And, of course, this is the context of, uh, of brethren in the church. And I wish I could stand in this pulpit and tell you uh, that we, we have never had a problem of someone speaking or thinking wrong things or lesser of another brother in Christ, even in this church. It's part of human nature. It happens. Uh, the Bible says we better be careful because when it happens, here's what's going on. What we are doing is in America, you are bound to American law, not European law, uh, not somebody else's law, not somebody else's idea. Uh, I remember one time I was actually up for jury duty. Uh, strangely enough, they haven't called me back since. Uh, and uh, the district uh, attorney uh, looked and said, now, now, Mr. Montoro, your, your paper here says you're a minister. Uh, do you think you can sit in judgment of another human being? And I'm going, uh, well, I said, taking the Bible and... Comparing it to people's behavior, I said, and giving what the Bible says, I said, that's part of my, my duty as a pastor. I said, I really don't think I would have a problem. And uh, next thing out of her mouth was, but you can't use the Bible in this courtroom. You can only use the law. Can you limit yourself? Well, I, I mean, I just lit her fire for some reason. And... Uh, I just looked and rather shocked that I wasn't sure what was going on. I said, well, the last time I checked, most of the laws in this land were in agreement with the Bible. And that got me off the jury right there and then. Because everybody was doing what you're doing right now, only at the district attorney. And uh, that doesn't help. And I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck. I, I just was shocked that someone would even mention that. But the simple truth is, if you're going to run around as judging the brethren, which is what this passage is talking about, well, you better know the law before you start judging. But as you are learning your law so that you can judge everybody else, guess what you're not doing? Obeying the law yourself. You know, see, that's one of the neat things about being the judge, is who judges the judge. And that's why the Lord tells us in the Sermon on the Mount and many other places in the Scriptures that this is just not a place that we ought to go as believers. God has not called you. I remember meeting somebody who said, well, God hasn't called me to be a judge, but he's told me I'm the fruit inspector. And I said, well, you're not inspecting any fruit in this church. Amen? Uh, uh, we, we don't need fruit inspectors. You see, you always meet people who sit themselves above the law of God. And something that we, we need to understand is there is one lawgiver 
who is able to save and to destroy. And as hard as this may be, when someone is doing something wrong, especially if you're involved in their wrongdoing, meaning that it is aimed in your direction, do you think it might be too difficult to let God take care of that rather than you trying to take care of that? I believe that's what James is addressing right here. As simple as he can, he's trying to give us a little thought process because, you know, judges, you're supposed to be very deep thought processing persons. And, of course, if you've read some of the uh, uh, decisions handed down by our quote-unquote Supreme Court, you will see that the thought processes are rather shallow in this day and time, rather very frightening as a citizen of this nation. But I'm glad that we all stand before God. And you know what? God can take people and He can keep them going and He can set them down. You look at the difference between David and King Saul. King David and King Saul in the Old Testament. You know, Saul was only the king two years And God rejected him from being king in Israel. How long did Saul reign? Another 38 years. Do you know the entire nation of Israel had to wait 38 years for the next king to come along? You know why? He hadn't been born yet. David was only 30 years old when he began to reign in Hebron. And 37 or so, as he moved into Jerusalem and became the king over all Israel, David wasn't even there yet. So God made them wait. But when David sinned, God did not remove himself from David as he did from Saul before him. And some will say, well, that wasn't fair. That certainly doesn't... And and there are just certain things that we have to leave with God. Do you know why? Because we go back to Samuel. It's God that looks on the heart. It's God that can make people stand and He can make people fall. And sometimes we look and we... We think we understand things that we do not. And we put ourselves in in a position of authority. And by the way, does this sound like maybe this person who's got a problem with judgment just might have a problem with being many masters trying to be in charge of things that they're not supposed to be in charge of? Uh, it is. It's, that's why... I've, I've been through the book of James, I don't know how many times, I've never divided it up like this, but the outline has just laid itself out as he gives these commands. Uh, We have six of them, and we're trying to finish up the fifth one. Let judgment be up to God. You know what? That'll solve a lot of problems with trying to be in charge of a lot of things. Just let God be in charge. You know what the hardest thing about letting God be in charge of a problem is? You can't do anything. Now, 
I don't know if there's anybody else like this. Is there anyone here that just likes sitting still and waiting? I mean, the DMV is one of your favorite places to go, Department of Motor Vehicles, because you can just sit there for hours doing nothing while you're waiting for your name to be called. Uh, I, I'm not like that. I like to do things. I take a whole briefcase full of stuff when I go to DMV, uh, and I plug in my headphones and and uh, just check the thing if I have to go there, because I, I like to do things. I don't like to sit and be still yet. If you're going to be a servant of the Lord, sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just fold your hands and be still. Because if you don't, you're going to fall into this pit here and start judging things that God never intended you to judge. Start making evaluations, but just remember one thing. There's one lawgiver. No one knows God's law as well as God does. Amen? No one is able to execute God's law except God. And so why do we spend so much time trying to play God? Well, the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's a reason for that. There really is. And it would solve a lot of problems, a lot of conflict, if we just let God be the judge. But they might get away with it, no? They're not going to get away with it. It is going to be up to God, and if He decides not to deal with it in this life, let me tell you something. He certainly will deal with it in the life to come. His judgment is complete, and it is best to let Him. And so now we start verse 13, and we're going to get two go-to nows. Now, this little phrase here is James... Quickening the pace, basically, here. He is, he is trying to get the attention. He, he is dealing with some very uh, uh, serious issues here in the lives of uh, believers. And he said, I want you to get this. I, I want you to pay attention here. I, I want you to write it down. I want you to go to now. And now who is he going to address? Go to now, ye that say today... Or tomorrow we will go into such and such a, is into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like an entrepreneur to me. That sounds like somebody who's in business. You know what? Is James is God against people being in business? Absolutely not. Somebody once said to me, is God a capitalist or a communist? Uh, I said, he's neither. But I'll tell you this, you can't be a communist and obey anything that's in this book called the Bible. It just doesn't work. And without God working on your character, all you're going to do is be a greedy capitalist. God's not interested in that either. Amen. Amen. 
But the simple uh, evaluation here is, just like when we get to verse 1 of chapter 5, it's going to say, go to now rich men. Now, is God against everybody that has money? Absolutely not. Some of the richest men in the Bible were godly men. Who gave Job all of his riches? God did. And when God was finished with using Job as an illustration, I like to put it, he slapped down the devil with the life of Job. He gave him twice what he had in the first place. If God was against being rich, he wouldn't have done that to Job. And so this is not just talking to all rich men and all people that want to do something, but what it is talking about is people who trust in their own plans and their own desires and people who trust in their own riches. It's people who will get anything done. I mean, when I uh, teach the inner city missions class and and have opportunities to talk to young preachers about this, I want them to understand something. There are some preachers that would build the church whether Jesus showed up or not. I mean, there are just some people that are going to have a large congregation. I mean, not to pick on Mr. Olstein there in Houston, but uh, one of the largest congregations... Uh, I don't use the word church because it's not a church. Uh, there's very little of this book that has anything to do with it. But I'll tell you what. What is it? He has like 20-some thousand people show up and 100,000 people tune in on, the, on television. And, and uh, uh, um, my figures are out of date. Brother Newberger told me a lot more than that. And I'll tell you, it's It's insanity. Why would so many people show up? Let me tell you something. It's a general rule. If you give people what they want, they'll come to you to get it. That's why people were camped out in front of the Apple store 20 days before the release of the iPhone. Do you realize that? That means... Two weeks, the iPhone was released on September 9th, two weeks before Sarah and Chad's wedding. People were camped out in front of the Apple store, waiting to get a phone. I I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. But I will tell you this. Apple knows how to build products that people are willing to get. Just because you can make money, just because you can get a crowd, doesn't mean God is involved in it. In fact, it was Jesus that said, Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it, and few there be that find it. He said, listen, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. 
and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth not, knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, James brings this group of people into focus, and you have to remember something here. James' letter was written to the Jewish Christians scattered abroad. His letter was written to be read in the churches. And there are, are, are people that, uh, I mean, I've met preachers. I met one preacher, he told me years ago, he said, listen, I'm not going to be the pastor of some little tiny church somewhere. I'm going to have a big church. That kind of stuff scares me. I don't like that kind of attitude. And, and, and I will tell you, most guys that have that kind of drive, you know what? They eventually do pastor big churches. You see, the world is built on accomplishment. And James is saying, listen, you have the judges. You have those that are the doers. Now, you'll notice I didn't say doers of the law. Doers. They're going to accomplish something. They're going to get something done. And, uh, and you know, again, we're talking about a church setting here, uh, a place where the Bible is preached. And it says, wait a minute, you're making all these plans in anticipation for the future. And you don't even understand about your own life. You see, our life is like a vapor. How many of you have ever seen the tea kettle boiling? And the steam comes shooting out the little whistle hole and makes a a noise and the vapor disappears. The Bible says that's what your life is like. And if we were to compare it to the timeline of history... About 6,000 years, the 70 to 100 years that people live on average would be nothing more than a in the scope of all of history. If we wanted to compare it to God's view of history, uh, it doesn't even qualify as that, now does it? And here's what it says. It says, you rejoice in your boastings, in your plans... All such rejoicing is evil. It says that we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And I'll tell you, a lot of people I know said, well, Lord willing, I'll be there. Lord willing, we'll do this. And I, I say it. And, and uh, one of the things that we want to be careful of is that we mean it. It's not, Lord willing, I hope you do what I said, Lord, please, please. Or, Lord, I've got all these wonderful plans. I hope that they work. The Bible says that, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, here's an acid test. Here is your red siren going off. This is your, your litmus paper if you're a chemist here. 
Do I have to stop doing something that I know I should be doing to get this accomplished? If I do, then I know my plans are wrong. I've heard many stories, and I could give you some of my own, of people who say, well, Pastor, you know, I got this promotion. I'm going to have to move to another town. I'm going to do this, and everything's going to work out. And my first question is, is, have you looked for a church there? Well, we're going to find something. Uh, no, it's got to be the other way around. It's got to be the church first, not second. Well, the church is, the closest church is about 35 miles, 40 miles away. It's not a very good one, but, you know, we'll make do because in four or five years, I'm going to get that next promotion and then I'll come back and I'll really make things happen. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't happen that way. When you've got to stop doing something you know to do, the Bible says that's sin. And we, we've got to watch this. We've got to take note. I mean, James is not fooling around here. This go-to now is, is as strong an emphasis as he can put. And this puts us all in a proper light. Um, I guess one of the examples, how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Dave Ramsey on the radio? He talks about money all the time. And... Uh, He's got a lot of good information, and, and he'll help you in some areas. But let me tell you, his plan is basically, uh, well, you can give now if you want, but if you'll follow my plan when you retire, you'll have all kinds of money to put into the thing. Well, wait a minute. God doesn't want all kinds of money in the future. He wants the little bit that you have now. He wants you to be faithful where you're at now. Because we're going to get to those people in this next group here who put away things and prepare for the end time. And they're going to lose it all. I mean, you can save up for a rainy day, but I like what one preacher said. He said, you know something? It's raining somewhere today. Just just be faithful where you're at right now. Stop worrying about trying to make the big impression or the big whatever it is. Just a little bit at a time. You know, my pastor once talked to me, Brother Thompson. He said, you know, I've always prayed. God would give me a million dollars. I just wanted a million dollars at one time to put into missions. He said, then I got thinking about it. And he said, we're giving almost $300,000 a year at Cleveland Baptist at that time to missions. He said, we've given several million dollars to missions. God's given it to me just a little bit at a time. And, And believe it or not, uh, within, uh, if, if things will continue within a year or two, our church is going to break the million dollar in our missions giving. And you know what? It was Brother Thompson that sent us here. That goes to his account as well. 
let, let me tell you something. God doesn't want our plans. He doesn't want us trusting in what we can do. He wants us just simply to be obedient. He doesn't want us judging. He just simply wants us to obey. We cannot be worried about what other people do. We cannot be worried about what God may have for us. And we get to this last go-to now, and I want to finish this so we can get to the last command uh, next week by God's grace. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them that have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on earth and been wanton, and ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Now that's a pretty sordid picture, is it not? And yet, could I challenge you, as Timothy talks about those that will be rich. There are just some people that aren't going to be satisfied with what they need. They're going to have fill in the blank. And he's saying, listen, misery is coming. You know, if James were writing today, he might say, Bernie Madoff is going to get you. And it's not going to be him personally, but there's an awful lot. How many people remember old Bernie Madoff? I mean, how in the world would you let a guy with the name Madoff handle your money? I just never have figured that. I wonder if he changed his name. I mean, he made off with so much money, it's just crazy. How in the world do you make $2 billion disappear? I mean, how do you do that? And yet, people willingly gave their money, and we're talking about smart people, people who have worked hard for their money. They gave it to him because he promised such good returns. And he really did. I mean, if you were on his short list, you got money back. If you were on the long list, he got money. All of it. And... uh It says, your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. In this day and time, clothing was as valuable as silver and gold. In fact, more so. Because if you wanted nice cloth, someone had to weave the cloth for you. Lydia was a dyer of purple. And she was greatly... Uh, 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 enriched by her trade according to what we know in the book of Acts. But it's interesting here that says your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You know, one of the reasons gold is so valuable is because 
You can put it in a safety deposit box. You can put it in a uh, box and throw it in the ground. And 500 years from now, you can dig it up. And guess what? Still be there. Gold is an enduring thing. The box could rot to pieces around it. And the gold will still be there. But you know... It talks about the last days and it talks about the gold eating your flesh as fire. Do you know that gold is a, quote unquote, is a radioactively sensitive metal? And if it's exposed to any type of radiation, you know what happens to the gold? It absorbs it. And when you pick it up, Guess who gets the radiation? You know, all the gold in the world wouldn't do you a bit of good because you can't touch it, you can't use it. The Bible says it'll be a witness. People are going to lose things. The riches. And one of the things that's going to have to happen before Antichrist takes over is he's going to have to destroy the riches of the world so that he can have control of them. How many, well, nobody here would remember, how many of you have ever read about or studied the stock market crash in 1929? You know what happened there? People lost everything. It was a worldwide catastrophe. And those that had money and had ability to withstand the losses that others sustained were able to gain vast and huge fortunes. You see, the Bible says that if you're trusting in your riches... And by the way, if you're trusting in them, how much is enough? How much money do you need to be secure financially? Well, no amount of money will be good if it's irradiated metal. Uh, The only thing that makes your paper money worth anything is because the president says so. Uh, Let me tell you, that concerned me when Ronald Reagan was the president let alone all the ones that we've had since then. And uh, the Bible says that, you know, and, and this is something everybody that has any money has to worry about, is it's easy to cheat just a little bit. The more money you have, uh, Brother Clayton liked to tell the story because he remembered it in his day. The, you've seen the little Getty gas stations. That used to be owned by a family. And they got into the gas pumps and turned them up just a few cents. And somebody found out about it. And the judge ordered all the Getty gas stations to open their pumps and anybody that came by could get free gas for a certain number of days. I mean, they had lines, unbelievable, because what had they done? They had cheated. 
That's why today you go to the gas station's got that little sticker. They got somebody out that goes and makes sure that that thing is pumping so many gallons of gas for the meter and all of those things. And you got your taxi cabs with the little seals on them that uh, the odometer is actually measuring the right amount of miles that they're charging and all of this. The Bible says, listen, if you're going to be rich, if you're one of those people that's going to want it, you've got to have it, you're going to end up cheating somebody somewhere. Because if you're controlled by riches, it's going to control you. Not all rich men are bad. That's not what it's talking about. But you can still show up at church every Sunday and be driven by money, be driven by possessions. You can hoard up for the last days. You can protect uh, yourself and make sure. But here's the question. When it finally happens, I remember reading a story about Katrina. And this one family was totally prepared. They had built their house uh, uh, super strong to withstand the hurricane and all of its force. And guess what? It worked. And they got their generator out and started it up, and all of a sudden they realized something. Their generator was the only thing in the area making noise. You know what that was doing? It was calling all the people who were around that had nothing. Hey! They got electricity over here. They got food over here. They got... You know what? It was a witness against them. You know what they ended up doing? Going in their house in the sweltering weather and shutting up all the windows and all the doors and pretending they weren't at home. I don't want to live like that, do you? The Bible says... Let's serve God and let's trust Him. You see, it all comes under this topic of being in charge. You know who's in charge? People with the money, right? Who's in charge? The guy with the plan. Who's in charge? Well, the judge is in charge because he knows what's going on and he'll let you know. What's going on? And the Bible says that those the, these things are not to be in the life of the Christian. That we just need simple faith. Does that mean you shouldn't plan anything? You shouldn't do anything for the future? No. But I can't trust in that. That can't be my, my, my faith. Uh, is it wrong to, if God blesses you financially and you happen to be what one might consider well-to-do or even rich? No. But if your heart is set on riches, it's going to take you where you don't want to go. Uh, should you know the difference between right and wrong? Absolutely. The Bible is full of that. But you're not the judge. You let God do the judging. He'll take care of it. And it will always seem like these guys win.
the guy that always has the plan. He, I mean, he's able to do this and do that and, and make a profit. I mean, uh, hey, they always seem to come out on top. The rich people always seem to come out on top. The guys who trust in their riches and know how to use them. And man, these judges, uh, they sit there and they write all the books and they make all the royalties and they let everybody know how to live and everybody listens to them and respects them. You know what the Bible says? Let them go. You don't be many masters. Because it'll destroy you trying to be in charge of everybody and everything. Just take what God has given you. And we get to that last command. Be patient. How do you get patience? Uh, Back chapter 1, verse 2. Rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations. Guess what? It's the problems that give you patience, and what you have need of is patience. Uh, How are you going to get patience? It's not simply enduring. It's getting wisdom from God to live for God in spite of the problems. Amen? And that will give you patience, and that will keep you, as we will see, Lord willing, Next week, as we try to finish up the book of James, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, as many of these things may not seem to apply in in every part of our life, we do know and understand that these are natural tendencies. One does not have to be rich to trust in riches. One does not have to be successful to have plans and, and to be trusting in the future. And certainly, one doesn't need to live pure to be a judge. Lord, we ask that you would work in each of our lives to remove these things. Give us wisdom to be able to see and understand that we may serve you in these last days. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just give you a moment. If you need to slip out, spend a few moments at the altar. The altar's open. And we'll get into our prayer time.